0: new video released in day three of the Derek Chauvin trial. You can see George Floyd inside a store where he went to buy cigarettes. It was that purchase that prompted a call to police. The clerk who sold Floyd the cigarettes suspected that the money that was being used was counterfeit. Moments later, Floyd was arrested outside of that store. While on the stand today, the clerk from the store testified that he has felt guilt for calling police. Today, we also heard from more bystanders who witnessed Floyd's death. ABC's Trevor Alt has the latest from the courtroom. Jurors in the trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin been hearing today from Christopher Martin, the clerk at Cup Foods, who received the counterfeit $20
1: bill from George Floyd on the day he died. When I um, saw the bill, I noticed that it had a blue pigment to it, kind of how a $100 bill has, and I found that odd, so I assumed that it was fake. The
0: prosecution playing surveillance video from both inside and outside the store as Barton described how he felt that day. Uh,
1: disbelief and guilt. Why guilt? Um, if I would have just not taken
2: the
3: bill, this could have been avoided.
0: The jury also hearing from Christopher Belfry, who
1: recorded the incident from his car. We've seen them placing him in the police car, so that's all I've seen. In them. Kept on driving. I thought he was detained. I thought it was over, so I kept
0: on going home. Over the past three days, the jury has heard from numerous witnesses to Floyd's death, including Genevieve Hansen, a firefighter and EMT who was off duty that day and begged officers to let her help. And when you couldn't
3: do that, how did that make you feel? Totally distressed.
0: Frustrated? Yes. Darnella Frazier, the teenager who recorded that now viral video of Floyd's death, also took the stand I
4: heard George Floyd say, I can't breathe please get off of me I can't breathe he he cried for his mom he was in pain it seemed like he knew, what
3: he knew
0: was Chauvin is facing manslaughter and second and third degree murder charges to which he has pleaded not guilty the three other officers involved in Floyd's death go on trial later this year Trevor Alt, ABC News, New York.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we take a look back at the death of George Floyd. And taking a reflecting look for one purpose. Where are we today after the death of George Floyd? Has behavior changed? Have things gotten better? I got news for you, they've gotten worse. Hang on to your seats, AJC Radio takes off right now. There you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zappolo, Samson Riddle, William Williams, Clinton Stewart, Dennis Merritt. Our AJC radio team tonight as we take a look back to reflect to see if the death, and not only the death, but the conviction of Derek Chauvin has prompted change as we need to see it.
5: Uh, You'll
2: be surprised at what you hear tonight. You would think, after such a horrific situation that things would have shifted somewhat. But well, as we get ready to go down this road tonight on this topic, how important is it that we take a look at the facts?
0: Absolutely important. Uh, you know, marking the anniversary uh, past that date, we definitely need to see progress. So many times we have people coming out in the streets, uh, rioting, protesting, but what do you really see? What kind of actions do you really see? Do you really see change or is it, is it just a bunch of rhetoric and uh, angry, Angry people. So we definitely need to see change in America over this issue.
2: Okay, and we're going to take a look. William, your thoughts?
6: You know, I agree. We we have to stay vigilant with this. Um, this was one case, um, and it became such a big issue because people saw it. I mean, you saw the man die right there on camera, and but it's still happening. I mean, we know this. It, we we know it day in and day out. And if it wasn't for you know the cell phones, many of these cases would have been. Would not have gone the way they have gone. We would not have seen the, this uh, the George Floyd case uh, if it hadn't been for the cell phone being cap you know people capturing it, people being diligent, holding police accountable. And so, but this is still a very hot topic and an issue that needs to be uh, we
7: need to address. Dave Zappala, well, when you look at even this week, the uh, bill that was doing that was for police reform stalled in the house because the Republicans couldn't get behind it. So you see nothing has changed, nothing's uh, going forward because nobody wants it to. And that's that's the sad thing about this country is you have people that'll talk a lot and then not do a single
8: thing. Yeah, I mean just looking back over the, the fact that it, it has been you know, a little over a year since George Floyd's death and the fact that you know, as you know, the co host has said there's been very little movement to actual sustainable change. I mean, sure, it was it was good around the time whenever it happened. You know, the the populace was electrified. Everything was happening. You know, the police are actually being held not only accountable but found guilty of murdering this man in front of a nation. And but now here we are. You know, 12 months later, and what what's stuck? What's going on? Sure, they want to pass all these laws. I mean, that I've been hearing that, they, that different states have passed up, upwards of like 140 different. You know. Uh, criminal justice or, you know, police accountability laws, but what's really happening? And the the fact is, if you look at the numbers, you look at the, the police actions that have happened since that date, nothing's really changed.
2: Well, the problem is, is that the uptick in police brutality, police misconduct, uh, grandmother's going to talk about that story. Uh, a grandmother was dragged out of a car, along with another teenager, Uh, by an officer where lawsuits are actually being done or settled or agreements,
3: but here's the point.
2: Uh, It should have curved behavior, but it hasn't because it's the same God complex that these officers have, and again, not all officers, we must make that clear, but for the officers that continue, and we're talking about sometimes weeks after uh, the death of George Floyd, weeks after the Derek Chauvin conviction, weeks after he was sentenced, the behavior has gotten worse. It continues to climb out of control. And so uh, the gentleman that was a, one gentleman came on our show and he said, I'd hate to tell you this, but don't get too excited. Culture is the problem. It is embedded in the culture of this country that you continue to believe that black lives do not matter and the bottom line is, anyone, I don't care if you're black, white, Hispanic, whatever nationality you might be to, be, to succumb to this type of abuse. And again, we're going to see something else. You know why? The culture continues to fit on the path that it's on, and people continue to still abuse its citizens, this country does, uh, African-Americans, minorities, uh, and I don't, I'm not sure if you guys were able to see Uh, the roundup at the border where they had Haitian uh, immigrants that were actually being followed on horseback and whipped with the reins whips of the horses. You honestly thought you went back to the 1800s.
7: And it made me sick when you hear the press secretary for the president of the United States say, oh, they weren't using whips. They were using the reins of the horse, which is a leather whip. Yes. Exactly. Makes a difference. It's still leather.
5: But but that tells you where, like you said, Lamont, where we are in this country. You still have these people that would want to go back to the hundred years ago, hundred and fifty years ago, where they could do stuff just like that. And then when the president of the United States uh should speak vehemently against it, oh what it you're trying to play semantics. This is embedded this racist attitude in this uh, uh, it is embedded in our culture, and it needs to stop it. And as you said, it's, it, it's in the police force, unfortunately. Not all, but a few, uh, uh, a few well, of those well, people. Well, are well, more things. than a few, I guarantee you that. David, sure. what's your thoughts on this one?
9: I want to push back a little bit on the at the border type thing. It's just the problem with it is they create an environment. Uh, what's going on at the border right now is absolutely out of control all the way around um trying to control that many migrants coming in short staff is is a very difficult thing. I'd like to see the uh the video, the full video from another angle. Um uh and I want to be also careful not to isolate if it was one individual, if you see a pack of them doing it that's one thing. You're always going to be open for an individual uh doing things. A problem with America is the way they deal with racism is problematic Uh, there's there's so much going on that's overboard with racism whether it's uh the, the the pushing of how they teach uh critical race theory and things like that you you've got to dial it back some and not uh every white person in this country is not racist uh and i think that what happens is uh the rhetoric by politicians and people and social media get so inflamed until it's hard to find a a sensible argument. We can agree that policing there there obviously has been a problem uh, with racism and, and the way black people are viewed. But as a, as a country, we really need to uh, have a sensible view. Not everything is racist now. One thing I did see, Maxine Waters said that the, the gentleman she saw on the horse, she said it was worse than slavery. That's the type of rhetoric. It's, and nothing's worse than slavery. These people weren't taking their—this is not involuntary servitude, but to reach back and say that what she saw with the horse and the reins was worse than slavery is an absolutely ridiculous well, conclusion. So, th- th- and that's what I'm talking about when people reach too far on, on some of these things, they need to dial it back. If the gentleman, w- if, if the, the uh, uh, border officer was beating it out with the reins, he needs to be dealt with accordingly. But to say what was going on at the border is worse than slavery, where thousands of, of, of African Americans uh, were engaged in invol- involuntary servitude and we're property of the white man, that's hardly, it's too far of a reach. And that sort of stuff continues to and inflamed, and, and it's uh, counterproductive, and we really can't move forward uh, on this particular subject. Well,
2: uh, th- this is what I believe is the problem. Optics of that situation were absolutely horrific. Uh, if this country was not in the position that it has been, and of course, all white people are not racist people. But these were two to three different, uh, gentlemen on horses chasing these people down, uh, optic-wise, regardless of what what their, the optics of that was so horrific.
9: But you have to keep in mind, politics are optics. Well, you no, know, no,
2: I have no problem with that. I think the problem you have why the outrage sometimes reaches the level is exactly what this show is about.
9: We don't see change
2: regarding African Americans being treated the way they are. We see uh, Hispanic. Uh, immigrants that we've never seen people on horseback on horseback with a whip that takes people. Oh my god,
9: what is this? But but dealing, but, with, but, dealing with with, with uh, dark skinned individuals, yeah, yeah. But but remember, they've been on horseback for absolute decades. I got the that. border
10: patrol, we got the horseback, but it's like the procedure usually and everyone's seen this on television when usually migrants coming from South America they round them up, sit them down in a group, give them water. Make sure that they are healthy and then take them to the detainment facility. Well, In this instance, they were trying to chase them back into the river. There was no rounding up to see who they were and try to give them water, make sure they're not dehydrated. That's what they usually do. Also, this is the largest deportation singly by the United States has ever done. They That's put these people on planes immediately. Well, what, what, the American. You, you,
9: you have to get the actual numbers. No, they, it, are, it, they it, only sent. 1,700 back
10: that, that that they didn't do they're, for they're, any other group
9: of immigrants. Okay, okay. yeah, they, they have been shipping some back, but you you have to deal, deal with the issue. And, and that's what gets to me about politicians. The border is a problem. They're letting all these people flood the border, come in, they don't, the, the politicians, the, the Biden administration didn't say anything about it, they didn't do anything about it, and then when, when people get overwhelmed, they take one picture, and, and we know better, because yeah. We've been through the system uh, policing and we're talking about George Floyd policing is not a it is in many times they're doing a lot of stuff that you don't see. This is one image they've taken and they've amplified it beyond belief. I want I just can't believe some of this stuff isn't going on, whether they're black or brown. Some of this stuff is actually going on on a regular basis. Because that's the culture of policing that we deal with.
10: Yeah, and I agree. It's the culture of policing. But, again, you should not have officers in this climate. And these are people – these are not – these are federal representatives, officers. Mm -hmm. In this climate, you have to handle each immigrant case the same. The procedure usually is to round them up, make sure that they're healthy and no one's in like medical conditions. And then detain them.
9: But remember. Then they
10: determine if they have a, uh, like an asylum, if they let them be in the United States. But at that point, you've never seen police officers. Look, the image well, just doesn't, even even if you put the policy in line, the image doesn't look I, good.
9: I, don't, I, I don't. I don't justify the behavior of the officer or the officers in this particular instance. The, the problem is they're so selective. We, we have millions of black Americans in prison in this country. Okay, this is long before uh, 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 some guys on horseback are are, are using their reins to to try to to rein in, no pun intended, try to rein in some of these Haitians coming across the border. They've let thousands of people in this country, if not hundreds of thousands, that actually had COVID. So a lot of this stuff is not going on. But I I just, until we get an honest uh, approach and... We, we, we always get the the optics are bad and I don't disagree with that but there the problems one much deeper that, that the optics is just a a uh, a, a, a representation that, that they just happen to get caught on camera they just happen to get George Floyd caught on camera so this stuff is going on uh, and the problem and, and until the issue is addressed in a more stable minded fashion and not in a fashion where, uh, oh, my God, this particular situation. This stuff is going on. It's, it's, it's the filthy underbelly of this country, and until it's addressed at that level, this will be another George Floyd situation. It's going to rise up. Okay, those guys are going to be addressed, but did it really solve the culture and, and, well, and, and the problem that goes on in this country? Well,
2: the, I think the bottom line issue here is the climate in this country right now, the hot topic in this country right now as as Kendrick alluded to, and I understand your point as well, is it's just timing-wise it is the worst thing that we could have seen on TV. Whoever politicized it, whoever put it out there, it was not a pretty scene to see uh, because, again, we haven't seen it. It may very well be happening a lot more than what we know. uh, But what was caught and what was recorded, to me, uh, was horrific. And if it's going on, it doesn't change the fact that we have an overcrowding in our system. The reason I mention it, because we're dealing with race issues in this country, certain things timing wise. And and your point is valid, that everything is politicized. Everything is a snapshot and people run with that. But because people, I think with George Floyd killing and they're not one in the same, other than you go to the appearance of racial inequality in this country. And then now we have immigrants coming from Haiti. Haiti. Uh, We've never seen this. And the guy, one of the guys had a bag of lunches. uh, It looked like styrofoam things in a bag, and he was trying to do this. He was holding his hand with one, you know, his lunches with one hand and trying to not, trying to run the fear on his face. He didn't know what would happen. Uh, that's tragic, it but is. it speaks to the conversation in which we have tonight. Because after all this happened, and I don't think when you say uh, until we have an honest
9: conversation, it's not going to happen. Well, poli- this this is this is my issue. Politicians created the situation at the border. Then this particular scenario comes up. If everybody knows you're supposed to have a secure border, people just can't walk across the border. They have permitted thousands and thousands, now hundreds of thousands of people, by not enforcing the law. Then when something like this happens, so it's like, okay, wh- what is, what is the country going to do? Either you're going to enforce the law or you're not going to enforce the law. But
2: it should be equally No, No, I agree
9: with that, but this wouldn't be here if not for... Uh, thousands of people pouring across the border no and, and the politicians just don't care They're using it to some political advantage well, So the, the politicians are a huge problem In this country uh, stirring yeah, stir- the to. racial well, the, only, the
10: only thing is we have recent history Because you're going to see a big disparity In the fact that one You let a lot of Afghan nationals Welcome them with open arms in this country And there's no real There's no real Crisis in Afghanistan It's just we pulled out these people well, have got an assassination of a president and a natural disaster. There is no economy there. So you should at least for a temporary stay let these people come in until they get their stuff out of but, If the but laws but don't the next, permit
9: that, you can't.
10: But the next issue was the first wave of immigrations from Central America.
9: Mm-hmm.
10: And these, the, these Haitians the, came from Chile. Yeah, but the big issue was that the, the, they got par- separated from the parents in detention. They don't even give these guys detention. They're just like no, stay on the border, don't move. These, these the but, other immigrants got a chance to get detained but, and put
9: but, the detention centers. But you got to get all the facts though. And request, but, but that's but that's but the that's, problem is the system is already overwhelmed. We we've dealt with that in prison. The, the system is not set up to handle this many people coming across the border. So where what, where are they going to take these people? Why are they going to process them when the system itself is not set up to handle? 200,000 people every, every month since the beginning of the year, it has increased. Uh, last month it was 220,000. The month before it was uh, close to 200,000. Then you had another 208,000 this month. These numbers are astronomical. And it, it, it it's capable of stressing the system.
10: But we are making a lot of room for them, Afghanistan. Right. And then no, don't, don't that's let not anyone. Not, in. not
9: that many Afghans came over.
10: Yeah, don't let anyone.
9: And in. remember, that's political. Yeah, that's listen. my thing. is Don't let listen, anybody
2: listen, in. Listen, you know here's the point. Here's the point. And this will be another show that we'll discuss this. The point, the bottom line here, uh, how do you as a country, at one point, had a—well, the the border problem has been a problem for many, many, many years and many, many administrations. It is nobody has gotten a lid on the border as far back as I can remember. Uh, The bottom line here is the place of this country to open our arms to the uh, uh, folks that are running many times for their lives. Uh, They're in dangerous situations in these countries. Uh, Some of them are coming because they think they can get a better life here, and in most cases, our worst-case scenario in America is very uh, appealing uh, to people coming over. Uh, And again, the border debate can go on from here till whenever. Uh, We have a problem. We have a problem with this president. Uh, We have a problem that on one end, you want to enforce the border, uh, or one end, you want to say the border needs to be enforced, and we're going to... And then the second hand, we're pulling people out of Afghanistan. We're leaving Americans there, and lives have been lost by this president. Children have died by this president. So the self-righteous
9: position by the Biden administration uh, is laughable. Well, you got to keep in mind, Biden actually said, and this this is where the issue is. That's why I just kind of despise the way the politics work. Biden actually said, we're not leaving until we get everybody out. Well, he didn't get everybody out. So... So but because they were this is the war on terror, it's a political big deal, the war on terror, the the long Afghanistan war, many people wanted uh many Americans most Americans wanted us to get out of Afghanistan. He just screwed up getting out. So but from a political perspective, if if he leaves American behind or leaves even Afghans behind, uh and the way women are treated over there just tragic anyway, uh but if he leaves anybody behind, you're back into the optics. Thirteen soldiers dead, optics. Uh, he pulled out, left Americans behind. Optics. And don't forget the children that
2: that innocently said, oh, we made a mistake. Seven seven children died. Died as a result of that. Again, this is a, this is a, a disgrace. Uh, it's a disgrace. Uh, what's going on over there? We're going to get back into that subject further down the road here on the show because uh, that's a whole show by itself. Uh, tonight we take a look at George Floyd, the condition of a nation equally as divided from the day he was killed. Uh, why is that? And why is it that police abuse has has gone to a higher an uptick of police simply looking uh, rogue? This is after his death, after the conviction of this guy. Why have we seen, and there's been no movement, that's what I have seen. We have seen officers continue this abuse. We're going to deal with that on the other side of this break. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio tonight. Where are we now since the death of George Floyd? As a nation, we are still crippled. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back.
11: The criminal justice system has a set of rights created to protect you. But do you think it's really protecting us? You had a right to remain silent. But that really means you had a right to be silent, doubted, interrogated, suspected. The color of your skin can and will be used against you in the court of law. In their hands, we're incarcerated five times more often than white people convicted for the same crime. You have a right to attorney during questioning. In some states, 80% of criminal defendants can't even afford an attorney. So an overworked public defender controls your fate, one government employee, countless lives at stake. You had a right to be innocent until proven guilty. But somehow, about 47% of the wrongly convicted are black. And if they do prove you're guilty, they're going to write you a run-on sentence, on average, 20% longer than white defendants accused of the same crime. Even if you get out, you're still not free. When you're an ex con they had a right to deny you a bank account, deny you a mortgage, deny you a job, deny your vote. And if you don't remain perfect with the smallest slip-up, smallest infraction, the most honest mistake, you're going to join us, the 80% who come back to prison within five years, as I did. That's when you realize They didn't bring us here to thrive. They brought us here to build this. The plantation and the prison are actually no different. The past is the present. It ain't no coincidence. This was the plan since abolition to keep us subjugated by creating this system. But I believe in a different set of rights. The right to stand up and be heard. The right to reform a broken justice system and build a new future. We had the right to be silent. Now it's our right to speak up. Do you understand these rights as I read them to you?
2: For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. against wrongful convictions call or just calls today one eight five 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 two nine four two five two. 529 4252 we seek justice for the children as they go to bed at night and mom's not there dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe not because dad or mom did anything wrong because justice could not be found. Join us for the children. For they truly are
0: our future. I wanted to be in the military since I was a, since I was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force.
12: I served a total of 16 years.
0: I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs I hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die.
4: Coming back, I was raging.
0: I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless.
12: I guess I never recognized it in myself.
0: Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody.
12: Don't
5: suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody. It'll make you let it go.
0: It all starts with going to the VA there's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't
13: come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. There
3: was a When
1: news and headlines following an act of gun violence fade away, who's left? The families.
12: Gun violence is real. It affects more people than you would ever imagine.
0: Losing a family member is one of the worst things that anyone can ever go through. This is something that's often forgotten, like what happens to the people after the incident.
12: Although our country struggles to agree on a long-term solution to gun violence, we can all agree on one thing.
0: Any family suffering a loss as a result of gun violence needs our support.
12: Focus needs to shift to the human being. These continue to happen, and more people have... Join the club that we didn't ask to be a part of.
0: There's families that are not getting the help that they need. It
12: seems like there's nobody really rallying around the people who have experienced the hardship that we have.
0: So many families in need, and I can really empathize with that. They need our love,
12: compassion,
0: and hope. Life for these families may not get any easier.
12: Their lives are never going to be the
4: same. Ever.
0: But with the support of others,
4: they will
3: get stronger. We
1: can help. The Christina Grimmie Foundation, building a legacy of hope and inspiration.
2: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight. As we take a look at where are we as a country now, with the George Floyd killing, the conviction of Derek Chauvin, how different is society right now? How different is police behavior? And I have some bad news for you. It's not any better. Actually, it has gotten worse. Uh, And then you have to raise the question: How many people have died? that have not been caught by a cell phone, by the conduct of officers. Uh, We still are seeing people uh, being dragged out of cars, people being stopped and harassed, people being beat up and
5: abused.
2: We thought at one point when the sentence came down for Derek Chauvin that surely maybe we were in a different place. We absolutely are not. Uh, Right now, we're going to bring our very special guest on, uh, Leslie Gabrielle. She is a community organizer and activist. And I'm going to let her tell her a little bit, tell you folks and our listeners a little bit more about who she is, what she does. And she's going to get into this conversation with us. And uh, Leslie, are you with us?
12: I am. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here today.
2: Well, thank you so much for being a part of this show. We appreciate it. And uh, with you taking time out of your schedule, uh, it means a lot to us, and uh, we we are honored to have you on our show.
12: Absolutely, thank you for having me. Aloha, everybody. I am calling in from Honolulu, Hawaii. Uh, we are really in the midst of a reckoning with our systems of of racial injustice, especially wow. as it comes to police, <laughs> like okay. many places. And, I mean pretty much the same increases in police violence really some pushback against this pressure to force change
2: it's unbelievable to me that why would there be a pushback uh and it's the same thing here uh in in Colorado in all the states across across the United States it's like the cops feel uh if they, so for some reason, they're feeling like they can continue these bad behaviors. They continue to do that. Can you give us an explanation brief? What do you think is, sure. is, 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 is giving that impression?
12: Yeah, you know, I can't say for sure, but my own feeling is that there have been very little consequences for police misconduct, police crimes, police killings. We see some of these larger stories, but all in all, the rate of conviction against police officers, I believe it's less than 2%. So we've really emboldened police officers in a lot of communities to behave as though they are lawless thugs in the wild wild west and
2: that's what we've seen no understood understood and and i think that's why a lot of people don't have confidence that things are going to get better Uh, i remember the day the the sentencing came down uh for mr chauvin and people thought it was still less than what he should have received but it was more than we've seen in a very long time so people were kind of well, we got something out of it, but in reality, uh, and I, I agree with you, uh, very few people have suffered the outcome that Derek Chauvin suffered. Uh, we have Eric Gardner, yeah. who was killed publicly in New York City uh, right. without a weapon. And I don't know mm-hmm. how many officers was on him. And all he kept saying, he said, man, I can't breathe. He yeah. was no threat to those officers. And mm-hmm. that nothing, nothing happened to those officers. That was a major yeah. consequence, so I do agree with you on that. Um, and then you go to some other people that have have suffered death and injustices. I, I, Walter Scott, I'm not sure what happened with Walter Scott was shot was shot in the back, right? And the yeah, officer. An what, officer, what was what was, the he,
6: outcome? was sent, he was sentenced? Yeah, I believe he was sentenced. I think he got somewhere in the neighborhood of
2: about 20 years. Oh, he did get 20 yeah, years. Yeah, he,
6: he did. He was that was one of a rare case. The case with like Freddie Gray with those six officers, I believe they all. Fox, didn't they? Really? I believe so. I, yeah. think so. I have to do the research on that. But go, go ahead. So. Go ahead, Leslie.
12: Yeah. You know, I think what is happening is we see these really isolated incidences and feel a little bit of satisfaction that we are making progress. But these individual convictions of killer cops and abusive cops, while they do speak maybe to some progress, because we certainly haven't seen that previously, cops who killed Black people, especially we're not held to any sort of consequence. We are seeing a little bit of a shift, but that doesn't speak to systemic change. These individual consequences aren't systemic change. They're very individualized and give us this false sense of safety. We really have to continue to push these current conditions that are so skewed towards overly sympathizing with police, favoring the police narrative. Um, as we all know, with, with the George Floyd case, the press release that the police put out was atrocious. It was just such a falsification of what happened. And I think what people don't realize is that's very common. Police are the first people to provide their narrative to the media so right from the very beginning people the the public communities have this skewed perception of what actually occurred because it's so one-sided and it's really difficult to undo those types of narratives from the beginning so we have a public I know in Hawaii and I'm sure lots of other places it is very pro police here there's there's just a default favorable attitude to police regardless of the details it takes a lot to convince people that police behavior, even objectively, if it is illegal or or includes criminal acts, it takes a lot to convince them of that. So we have these real deep systemic issues that we aren't addressing with these isolated individual convictions.
2: No, absolutely right. And these are things to me, uh, and Leslie, I don't know how optimistic you are, but I'll be honest with you. Um, We had a situation here in um, regarding a a uh, young lady, a black mother wins a two million payout from police who beat her and seized her child. I want to just share this story with you. And it says here that uh, uh, Rikia Young, a young black mother who was allegedly beaten during anti-racism demonstrations in Philadelphia last year for no reason, has reportedly reached a two million dollar settlement uh, with city officials. The agreement was reached on Monday, almost a year after Miss Young was forcefully removed from her car, was beaten, and had her toddler used by the city's police department for social media. In a statement, Philadelphia Police Commissioner Danielle Outlaw said that instead of fighting crime and the fear of crime, some of the officers on the scene created an environment that terrorized Rika Young, her family, and other members of the public on the morning of October 27th of last year. And that was when Miss mm-hmm. Young, a nursing aide from North Philadelphia, tried to drive through a large protest over the police killing of Walter Wallace Jr., a young black man. And and in short, Leslie, what the officer did, he he created a photo op after yeah. dragging this lady out the car and mm-hmm. holding this baby as a prop.
12: Yeah. Yeah. And so my,
2: deep- go ahead, Leslie.
12: I was going to say that picture speaks to really some of the ugliest tropes, some of the ugliest anti-Black tropes. Of, mm-hmm. uh, I remember that picture very well. It is a white female police officer, and you can see her face, and she's she's holding a child, a toddler, two or three years old. You can see mm-hmm. that he's barefoot. And they gave this, this caption that was just so overly sympathetic, again, to police, showing them as saviors. So we see these kinds of images and these tropes repeated, and people don't realize how that impacts them and really skews the perception to have that favorable view of police and a disfavorable, an anti-Black view of this woman who really did nothing except be in the wrong place at the wrong time.
2: Well, I think the tragic part about that is, and maybe some of the other co-hosts have some questions regarding it, the tragic part is five minutes before you took this picture, You dragged this grandmother out of her car, and you abused her to the point where you settled for $2 million. So they think if you settle for $2 million, well, it'll just go away. And now we have an optic, a photo op situation, a scene, a Hollywood production, if you will, at the scene to make it, and I, I agree with you 100%. Why are these people yelling at the cops? Look at these cops right here. They're holding a kid that, because the perception is they saved this kid's life. They care about these kids. So then we then become the people who have the right to protest and peaceably, mm-hmm. What was going on there? We look like we're demonized for it because now right. we have gone out of our way to create such a picture that is absolutely horrific because it's premeditated. So you mm-hmm. drag this study out. How do you? i mean you must you must belong in Hollywood to put that type yeah. of face on a situation
9: mm-hmm. David yeah, hey Leslie, thank you for joining us just uh a comment uh the problem even runs deeper than police uh, Reuters, in uh June of this of uh, two thousand twenty did a report where thousands of u s judges who broke laws or oaths remained on the bench uh mm-hmm. the, the the system runs deeper than just police. It's, it's almost all, like a secret, in my view, a secret society. It goes from the police to the prosecutors to judges engaging in misconduct because they have mm-hmm. the power. And the common thread with with the criminal justice system is there, there. there is no system accountability at any level, whether it's at the policing level, the agent level, uh, prosecutorial level, or judicial level. And that problem is so so the system is so broken until mm-hmm. until it's it just seems like it's in, an, an intractable issue because all of these uh at every level they are policing themselves we don't hardly have yeah. unless it's an extreme case like George Floyd that gets the cameras uh police continue to police uh to uh, police police judges police judges and prosecutors police prosecutors and with right. that system, I just don't see how we can get ever get past where we're going to have any type of accountability. And pro- most prosecutors become judges. So it's it's almost like this, this built-in crony system, uh, the path mm-hmm. to a judge is, is through the prosecutor. And so how do you, with all of these people that are from the same criminal justice club working together, Uh, Going up through the ranks, it just seems impossible that the system will ever change.
12: Yeah, and I think you bring up a really good point in saying the issues are deeper than just policing, and they're they're deeper than just our criminal injustice system as well. Uh, The underpinnings and the root causes of these issues and the issues of our country— they're built on anti-Blackness and white supremacy. So we have to really be able to look at these root causes and these structural underpinnings to make any sort of tangible progress to be able to address these systems. Because just as you said, all of these systems are built in a way to maintain the status quo, which is abusive towards black people and other people of color. And it shows preferential treatment to white people and people of of lighter skin tones. In Hawaii, we have kind of an interesting, uh, a little bit unique, I would say demographic as compared to the rest of the continent, as compared to the rest of the United States. A lot of people in Hawaii feel like we don't have racism because we don't have a white majority. We have an Asian majority. But what we see here is that white supremacy and anti-Blackness still exists. It's just applied to our sort of unique demographic. And I only say unique relative to the United States. So we we see the same here. The people who are darker, um, Native Hawaiians, Micronesians, and Black people face the most discrimination and racism. So we can see even in a demographic that isn't black and white, so to speak, we still have those same issues. And that really points to deep structural underpinnings of racism and white supremacy. And I just I want to mention one more thing. I was listening in before I came on, before my segment, talking about uh, Haiti and the immigration crisis. And something like that, I think, is a, a good example to be able to look at the bigger picture. We can't just look at that situation through this single snapshot in time. The path that has been laid over hundreds of years has led us to where we are now. The anti-Blackness, the making Haiti Haiti completely unlivable by things that have happened hundreds of years ago. Haiti, I I don't know if you know this story, but um, they were forced to pay reparations to France at exorbitant interest rates, and it absolutely put them in in a deep deep state of debt. And so that in addition to other things we've done that. We have made Haiti unlivable and I say we as in the world um it's not you personally it's not me personally but those folks that are directly responsible for it cannot be the ones to write the wrong because they don't exist anymore. So as a society, we have to step up and and take some responsibility for writing these wrongs that we really we consider historical, but we see how those so to speak historical incidences are woven into our current and present day.
2: Well very, very good point on that. Uh, and uh I have to say you're in a you're down the same path that David was Uh, David Banks, uh, in regards to the snapshot, rush to judgment, uh, because, Mm -hmm. again, things are being politically uh, placed, if you will, uh, in a way. And and again, when I saw it, um, when I saw the news report of it, uh, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Uh, Mm
3: -hmm.
0: But
2: to your point, there's some history here. Uh, And not only that, did they lose their president by assassination not too long ago uh so you're talking about a country in disarray no leadership mm-hmm. really from what they were accustomed to my understanding was this president was a was a fairly decent man from what i understand mm-hmm. that he was not mm-hmm. a, a necessarily a dictator but he seemed to really from at least the reports i've seen whether that's true or not but uh, that he was a decent president and can you imagine If the love of the Haitian people was with this president and he's taken out, how does that leave the emotional state and psychological state of this country? Uh,
3: Mm -hmm. And then
2: they're at a border trying to find some type of out in a situation Mm -hmm. that is too big for the the American uh, people to fix as far as politicians and presidents and all that. But I do agree with you on that. I want to go back really, really quick to um the story about this mother this grandmother says here uh, excuse me mother uh as seen in video footage when she tried to turn around in her vehicle she was approached by officers who smashed her windows with batons she was then beaten and had her toddler taken by officers who later posed with her child as i I mentioned earlier shared it on social media by police union the mother and the two-year-old son were separated for several hours let me Let me explain why that is so troubling to me now you're using a child you've kept a child from its mother. Can you imagine the fear of that little of that little child uh, not knowing where where his mother is and you're in the arms of a stranger uh, when Where do we draw the line and I'll get your thoughts on this Leslie where's the line drawn and that that officer should be so uh, charged and and reprimanded for what they did, because when we start using innocent children as props, man, we we really lost it. Because there's nothing there's nothing that will stop. That, for instance, there's no line in the sand that says this is a line we simply do not cross. But it's getting to the yeah. point it doesn't matter anymore, because man is a man primarily is about self-preservation. So if I can make it look like we are these these people and then the, the the uh the union for the police made the statement the child was lost during the violent riots in Philadelphia. The only thing this Philadelphia police officer cared about in that moment was protecting this child. And that's the post by the National Fraternal Fraternity Order of Police who deleted the image from Facebook following complaints. Mm-hmm. Well if it's real, why am I deleting it? If it's as you mm-hmm. say it is, why then do I feel the need to go in and delete that from the actual Facebook posting, if it's all authentic. But it's like, do people not understand or see that?
12: I would say no, people don't understand and see that. One problem is that people have a very short attention span. So that post got a lot of attention. I believe it went viral. It's being shared and liked and, and reposted thousands of times. But when it's deleted, there's no big story about that until recently when we see this lawsuit that has come out. So right. People have this impression, yeah, of this is what happened. As uh, this, I believe that was the police union, correct me if I'm wrong, that made that post. So people who see that yeah. think that that is the truth. And they don't, again, we don't look at the bigger picture. We don't look at um, why these things are happening right now, except to take one step back when we need to take a hundred steps back, The, the, the issues that are underpinning the racial systemic issues within policing and everywhere else as was mentioned, We have a long history of that, and that history we feel like we're so far removed from. But as an example, Emmett Till's accuser, she's still alive. Ruby Bridges, she's still alive. So we are very much embodying our history without realizing it and unconsciously perpetuating this same framework that has always been in existence as far as the the colonial history of this country since it was deemed the United States of America. It was built on... These same sort of racial uh, drawn lines in the sand of, of people who are human and people who are subhuman, and we see those same kinds of perceptions perpetuated today.
7: No,
2: absolutely, Dave.
7: And, and you're seeing that so much today. Where uh, one of the instances we just had a little over a month ago was a black real estate was showing a black real estate agent was showing a house with a client. And the client's son. The client was a veteran. All three of them are black. The neighbor called mm-hmm. the police, said that there was a um, a break-in at the house. The police came, surrounded the house with their guns drawn, mm-hmm. handcuffed all of them, and never even thought about this house is for sale. Even when the real estate agent showed him the license, his license and that he was working in the um, working on that house. When you see things mm-hmm. like that, you. It it pains me to see that this is the United States today. I mean, what do you see us going towards in the future when you see things like this?
12: Yeah, I think that we really have to be able to get uncomfortable. Um, We, for the most part, collectively see racism as a very explicit act, a racial slur or something that's very obvious. And, and within systemic racism, which I think most people agree that that exists, and that that's an issue, that means that racism is present in every facet of life. So we have these situations happening repeatedly. They might look like small things sometimes, or sometimes they're even indetectable because a lot of this comes from implicit bias. So we collectively have to get comfortable with the discomfort of acknowledging the truth of our current reality. We are not free from racism. I would say, and I heard earlier Someone had mentioned that it's um not a good move to say that everybody is racist, and while I agree with that, I will say that th- we do have implicit bias because it's it's a outcome of systemic racism. so everybody has some implicit bias because it happens at a subconscious level. It's the way people interact with each other. It's not always a racial slur or a hate crime so that's 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 just the reality. And to be able to address that means that we have to acknowledge it. We have to be individually working on ourselves and examining our own perceptions in our communities, pushing for progress, pushing to end these systems that are so harmful, that were built on these, these racialized lines and then for our larger community working to right these historical wrongs like in Haiti and uh, you know we've done damage as a country to many many countries um, around the world and then we wonder why they don't want to live in their country anymore we wonder why their countries are overtaken by violence and poverty and we did that but we're not willing to look past this single snapshot in time that was a very big response i covered a lot of things i hope that answered your question yes
2: thank you Yes, dennis yeah as you were talking i was thinking about you know when you were talking about accountability and then you know how how do you get uh uh, how, how do you get a nation uh to to respond how do you get a nation to say enough is enough i mean we're we're living in the now. I understand, you know, our history has a lot to do with what's going on now. But what do we do now? I mean, yeah, history had a lot to do with it, but we still have police officers doing, you know, doing stuff they should not be doing. And there's still no mm-hmm. accountability. We tell everybody, get out and vote, 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 vote. But I tell you, I, I'm asking you, what what do we really need to do? How do we need to start? To, to to
5: make these changes that that history fought about. I mean, it's
2: just if you look at it today, and we talk we're talking about tonight about what what's going on with police police brutality. How do we change it?
12: Sure, yeah, you know that is a a big question and a very complex answer. I think the the way to simplify it is to encourage people to. Mobilize and take collective action. because these issues are rooted in systemic racism, um voting, that's good. Um, working within your community to push back against abusive police, to push back against police unions that have um, significant, more power and are emboldening police to behave in this way. So we have to be able to look at what our current conditions are and take a a potential opportunity to move towards progress. And it's not that. That's the thing, is that these kinds of things take a long time to undo. But if we can start taking steps in the right direction, we will at some point – reach that critical mass and hopefully see a tipping point where we have more people that are engaged in this movement for progress and we can see real change. But we are so far from there. And I saw a, a statistic recently that said white people are less supportive of Black Lives Matter now than since uh, before George Floyd was killed. And I think that speaks to a lot of our issues.
2: And I do agree with you. That's a big question. Leslie's like, well, if you just put the world on my shoulders here. I don't know necessarily how to, re- how to respond to that. But I think your answer is, is well noted and a good one. We, look, anytime you have a problem that's, in, that's embedded in culture, uh, we said all the time on this show that culture is the major problem, which is nothing more than history. When, when right. did this start? And how many, yeah. so how many years have we seen these issues and they just continue to be embedded in concrete? And then we want to say, well, look, George Floyd died. We're a new country now. We're not. No, we're not. Absolutely no. not. So I do agree with you. You have to start pushing back. Uh, and as collectively as a group of people, as mankind, right. let's just say mankind, being human to do the right thing mm-hmm. and making some changes as far as our behaviors is critically important. And I know, yeah. uh, Leslie, you had said you had until 7 o'clock. Uh, Kendrick has one question
10: mm-hmm. for you, and then we're going to let you go out, sure. out of respect for your time, okay?
12: Thank you. So, sure.
10: Hey, okay, Leslie, I'll just just uh, uh, kind of get your viewpoint of how things are in Hawaii, because uh, based off of a Time article, since George Floyd happened, the same rate of police killings has, has maintained for the last five years. The only drop we saw was six days during the COVID pandemic yeah. that there were no police killings. Mm-hmm. Has Hawaii experienced uh the same level of police shootings and violence as compared to the mainland, or is this different better worse what do you where do you think that Hawaii is at?
12: The same, but we really do have a population that believes we are very unique and we are very different and we are very special in terms of racial issues, issues of police violence, and it's just not the case based on the data. Um, Our own police department, Honolulu Police Department, their use of force reports show disproportionate use of force and arrest against those same groups I mentioned earlier, Native Hawaiian, Micronesian, and Black. So it's it's coming from our own police department that there most certainly is an issue. We had two publicized, highly publicized police killings of people of color in a 10-day span in early April. A 16-year-old Chiquise kid is a, a, a person from the Federated States of Micronesia, in which we have a lot of um, – we have a large population of uh, Micronesian people here, and they are routinely discriminated against. I mean, it's like – like 1960s on the continent where it's just so obvious. It's joked about, it's really horrific. And nine days after that, we had a 29 year old unarmed black man killed by the Honolulu police. In both cases, police spun a wild narrative about what occurred Uh, refused to release body cam footage except for a very short segment of edited footage. And we really just didn't see the type of closure we would have liked to see. There have been no consequences for those police I know I said I have to go. I want to just make one more mention. More recently, just to demonstrate what policing is like in Honolulu, we had, I believe it was last week, it might have been the week before, but an incident where a car full of young people were leaving a beach park at about 4 a.m., had been hanging out, partying there. And the Honolulu police, um, we had a car of officers chase them. Not a legal pursuit. They had no lights on. They didn't call it in. What we heard later was that one of the officers had a feud with the driver of the vehicle. He clipped, the officer clipped the car filled with these, I believe it was six individuals in this car. The car flipped. Four people were thrown from the vehicle the driver last that I heard is on life support. There was a 14 year old kid in that car that is paralyzed, and the police kept driving a hit and run, which that's what it would be called for any of the rest of us a hit and run. And then the police came back around, and a witness of this scene said that they walked up on the incident once 911 had been called and said, What happened here? And then, again, falsified their reports. If it wasn't for this witness, we would never know what had occurred. So that oh. just gives you a peek into wow. the kind of issues we're dealing with here. It's pretty horrific. We have a very strong police union that shields police from consequences. They tell us very proudly that when something like that happens, the officers write their reports together, which would not happen if you and I had been convicted of committing a crime together. So it's, um, yeah, it's it's pretty terrible here, and we are very active in a, our small community in, um, in taking back our community, bringing safety to our community because the police are not keeping us
2: safe. Well, Leslie, let me say we've been, we've enjoyed you thoroughly tonight. I'm sure our listeners have as well. Uh, I do extend an invitation for you to come back on our show. Anything that you want to. Uh, speak about on your platform, uh, please know you have an opportunity here at AJC Radio to do that. Uh, we're so honored that you took time to, to spend with us, and it's been definitely informative uh, and definitely uh, educational for us to be aware of what's going on. I wish you the best of luck in your work and your endeavors, uh, and we'll be in touch offline to see whatever AJC and the Just Cause organization can do to uh, push your agenda out there as well, okay?
12: Thank you so much. It's been a, a joy to be able to speak with you about these issues. Have a great rest of your segment.
9: Aloha and mahalo.
12: <laughs> Aloha and mahalo to you too. Thank you.
9: Okay, take Bye. care. We
2: appreciate you. Thanks. Well, folks, there you have it. Uh, Leslie Gabrielle, uh, she's well informative. And what she's talking about, and I think one of the biggest problems in Honolulu is, according to what she's telling us, is that they think they're okay. And if they think they're special, we're not like the other states in the United States. We're uh, a society of our own. Then we have a problem. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio. Tonight we deal with a topic. George Floyd, where are we as a country, as a nation? Has anything changed? Or does it continue to get worse? Our facts, our information says the latter. This is IJC Radio.
1: We'll be right back.
13: What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Kevin Stage, and I'm afraid I'll be killed by police. Not all police, just one police officer who fears first life and thinks I have a gun. I'm afraid I'll match the description of someone who called 911, the police will arrive, and before I know it, I'll be dead. Not all cops are bad, but for me, all it takes is one who is afraid for his life, and that leaves me dead. He could have had a pristine record up until that, but if he's afraid that day, that means it's the end for me. He could have been a bad cop his whole entire career and not be afraid. That means the end for me. I used to think this wouldn't happen to me because I'm a law-abiding citizen. I won't ever be doing anything or be anywhere I shouldn't be. I'll comply with officers, but that doesn't always seem to be the case. Here's some examples of what Black people were doing when they were killed by police. Selling CDs outside of a supermarket. Selling cigarettes outside of a corner store. Walking home with a friend. Missing a front license plate. Riding a commuter train. Holding a fake gun in a park in Ohio. Holding a fake gun in a Walmart in Ohio. Holding a fake gun in Virginia. Calling for help after a car accident, driving with a broken brake light, failing to signal a lane change, walking away from police, walking toward police, running to the bathroom in your apartment building, walking up the stairwell of your apartment building, sitting in your car before your bachelor party, holding your wallet, not wearing a seatbelt in police custody, attending a birthday party, laughing. The thing that makes me most afraid is I'll be afraid. I don't know what I'll do if a police officer has a gun pointed at me and is shouting instructions. I'm afraid I'll move too fast, too slow, not fast enough. I'll reach for something he asked me to reach for, and he'll think it's a gun. I'm afraid I won't be calm, and me not being calm could be the end of me. I'm afraid that I can die in front of my wife or children or both. I'm afraid my children will be somewhere without me and suffer the same fate. I'm afraid the police officer will be in plain clothing so they won't even recognize that this is a police officer and they don't respect him and treat him like the authority he is because they don't know he is. And here's what's going to happen if I die. People will comment on a post about me and here's what they'll say. If he would have just done this, he would be alive today. If he would have just done that, he'd be alive today. All you have to do is listen to police and you'll be fine. If he would have just listened to the officer's orders, he'd be here today. If you care so much, why don't you care about what's happening in Chicago? What about black-on-black crime? Don't you care about that? The media will find the worst picture of me to use, and since I don't have any brushes with the law or mug shots, they'll find the most menacing or intimidating photo they can use. They won't use any of my wife or children or my family because that doesn't tell the story that they want to tell. Tammy Lauren will get on TV and tell them it was my fault, or Glenn Beck or Sean Hannity or Rush Limbaugh will get on the radio. Fox News will have a field day with me. They'll say, we don't have all the facts. The video doesn't clearly show. You don't know. What if he was? It looked like he was. You can't tell clearly. We can't see what's in his right hand or left hand. You don't know what the officers were feeling. They already won't protect me or protect my desk, even if I say I'm a licensed gun owner and I tell the police officer that when he pulls me over. The video will be posted all over the internet in a matter of seconds. And whether or not you want to see it, you will see my dead body lying on the ground or a video of an officer shooting me or me dying live on Facebook. And then people will say, it's not about race. We're all one people, all lives matter. And then life will go on. That's the scariest thing. After a while, life will go on. The officers may or may not get arrested. More than likely, they won't be convicted. More than likely, they won't even be indicted. And before you can totally mourn my death, it'll happen again. That's why I'm afraid.
4: Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a Just Cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a Just Cause at 855 855- or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Columbine.
0: Virginia Tech. Tucson. Aurora.
4: Fort Hood. Oak Creek. Newtown. 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 How many more? How many more? How many more colleges?
0: How many more classrooms? How many more movie theaters?
12: How many more houses of faith? How
4: many more shopping malls?
0: How many more street quarters?
12: How many more?
1: How many more?
4: Enough. Enough. Enough.
1: Enough. Demand a plan.
4: Right now. As a mom.
1: As a dad. As a friend. As a husband.
4: As a wife.
1: As an American.
4: As an American. As an American. As a human being. For the children
12: of Sandy Hook. Demand a plan. No more lists of names. It's not too soon.
0: It's too late.
12: Now is the time. Before we all know someone
0: who loves someone on that list.
5: No more lists.
0: No more. Who they might have been. No more. If we had just done something yesterday. It's time. We can do better than this.
4: We can do better than this.
0: It's time. It's time. It's time for
1: our leaders to act. Demand a plan. Right now.
4: Right now. You! Demand it! Enough. 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 Enough.
3: Welcome
2: back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight. We are dealing with a discussion tonight regarding the George Floyd killing. Where are we now as a country since that took place? Where are we now since the sentencing of Derek Chauvin, the officer that uh, killed George Floyd in broad daylight? Uh, Many say that the sentence received was not sufficient. Uh, We celebrated the fact that that amount of time was given to an officer for one reason. There's usually no accountability. But at the same time, it is naive to believe that, well, we did get something, so we should settle. We should not settle. Officers and the misconduct by police officers in this country against men and women of color, children of color, has increased. There's an uptick in that. Uh, The abuse of officers is higher than it was prior to the death of George Floyd. And this behavior continues to be, and that is our discussion tonight. Where are we? How do we move from here? It looks like we're probably going to be doing a part two of this show uh, because there's so much to discuss of where we're at. Uh, Right now, I'm honored uh, to bring on our very honored guest, special guest, Linda Reed. She is interim director of the University of Houston of African-American Studies Program and associate professor. Uh, And I will call Ms. Reed doctor, uh, if that's appropriate, uh, Dr. Reed. How are you today?
14: I am good. Thank you uh for continuing to have this uh discussion.
2: Well, thank you for what you're doing out there and and uh all that you're doing to 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 educate educate people regarding uh, uh issues of the African American communities and the history. Uh we ne- we need more people like you that's going to get up here and, and actually take care of that. So for your work, we say a very special you for what you're doing and your contribution. Uh, to a positive society. I don't know how much of the show you've heard thus far. Uh, we're dealing with some issues here. Uh, Dr. Reed, help us understand. Uh, and, I, and I'm sure you remember when, when George Floyd was killed, it was an outrage. as And it was a protest, mega, if you will, a mega protest all across the globe. People were coming out about outrage about the death of George Floyd. And now... We're at a point, a little over a year since this happened, and where are we? The country, we have police officers doing what they're doing. People are being abused. Grandmothers and mothers are being dragged out of cars. Yeah. Uh, what, help me understand, Dr. Reed. If maybe, maybe you could shed some light on this. How is it something so tragic that had such an impact in the moment? Uh, I remember watching all the news stations and I have never seen the crowds of people in the streets of not only all over the United States, but around the world protesting the death of George Floyd. How do we settle back in to say, well, these officers just pick up where they left off and continue to do what they do? Please shed some light on that for me if you're able.
14: Well, I I think it's it's something that we – probably won't ever understand. Um, But it is uh, a historical cycle. Uh, And so I think part of what happened, uh, people uh, thought that, okay, they marched in the streets. Uh, Certainly things would change within a short period of time. And then one year later, we can't even get the U.S. Congress to support uh legislation that's named uh for the uh reason why George Floyd was murdered, you know the yes. George Floyd Justice and Police Act seems to be dead in the water.
2: It's unbelievable to me because I remember the members of Congress and David, you may remember this where they were actually uh out in Congress, they had the African American symbol or flag that they were wearing, and they all kneeled uh, as a symbol that they, the death of George Floyd, uh, somebody mm-hmm. kneeled on this man's neck, and you're now at a point where there's nothing, you can't even get it moved, and at that point, Republicans and Democrats says this is horrible. What happened to George well, Floyd? You know,
9: politicians take mm-hmm. any opportunity to get on a soapbox and push a narrative. I think because it's once politics becomes one of the variables, it it dilutes the entire purpose because they God god bless them, but no matter what they do, politics are going to be intermingled into everything they say. I just don't see any I haven't really seen a politician that is that possesses any sort of altruism to a cause. With because politics always Ooh. muddies muddies the water. Yes. That's what well, you we have, on that.
14: Yeah, we, we have had uh uh probably the politicians who would have made a difference are no longer with us. Uh for example, John Lewis. Um uh, uh yes. he he was a very strong person, uh, you know, was willing to work until he could get it done. But uh It seems like uh, some people are just willing to um, not necessarily walk away from it, but they're not as vocal as we would like for them to be. Um, But all of that is, it's a cycle. You know, I can go back in history. We had uh, Emmett Till in the 1950s. Well, it was an international outrage, but then... um, not very much came from it. Yes. And uh Otta B. Wells talked about all of those instances in in her lifetime, six to ten people could be lynched in any given week. Uh and that was in the early part of the twentieth century. But here we are, we're still seeing the same thing in the twenty first century. How do we stop it? It's a it's a really good question. Um, We just need strong people, whether they're politicians or not.
2: Well, you need true leadership, Uh, it would be my guess here, uh, that who will step up to the plate. Since the death of Martin Luther King Jr., uh, I believe uh, you've had partial activists uh, for the the African-American community, but no one with the voice. And the 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 ability to bring uh, the African American community together, as Dr. King did, um, mm-hmm. that's been largely missing uh, since since his death. That's been largely missing. Um, and I think, as as David mentions, the politics and where we are as a country and as a nation, uh, the outrage to me has been minimal. Uh, like I said, and, and you make a good point, we're marching in the streets. People are everywhere in numbers that we have not seen before.
14: Never saw were... before. All around the globe.
2: What happened?
14: Yes. What happened?
2: How did that? It's kind of like a firecracker that or a candle that just dies out. What happened here? William, your thoughts and, and any questions with Dr. Reed? Well, I, you know, I agree 100%
6: because like Leslie said, we have a short attention span. People will rise up for a moment, and then you know they'll. It, it, it's really short. Then they will die off. They don't, and they act like if I don't hear it, I don't see it. It doesn't exist. No, it's exact. It's existing. It's existing. And so, Doctor Reed, I, I had a question. Um, how did you see the George Floyd trial go? As it compared to Orlando Castillo, uh, and and specifically, I was look, I, I just want to know your thoughts on how the police officers were viewed because Yanez was charged with, I believe, second-degree manslaughter, where Chauvin was charged with second-degree murder. And then Yanez, who shot Philando Castile
2: – And that's that's the young – the, the Castillo was the gentleman in the car with his yeah, fiancée. Yeah. Right, he right. The- right.
6: Yep. Yep. Yeah, and, and so they were basically in the same area. Uh, they were yeah. four years apart. And and so I just wanted to know your thoughts on, on –
14: how you well, view
6: both those cases?
14: I I think um and and, and you know we we had a video of uh, both situations yes uh but I think that there was more of a public outcry around the George Floyd murder and maybe that had something to do with the trial going a little differently. You also had um, uh, an attorney general. Uh, that was uh, different during that that time. Um, so I I don't know. It's 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 quite subjective, but you know. And if if we're not careful, uh, we we might see this whole situation with uh, Chauvin and that sentencing changing if people don't keep their foot on the pedal.
2: No, I agree with that. Uh, and here's what's here's what's an outrage really with the fillet. With Orlando, Castillo, Castillo what, this is what was horrible to me and when they did the research on this man he did exactly what he was told to do if pulled over by law enforcement and you mm-hmm. had a permit to carry he did nothing to break the law he, he made statement mm-hmm. to the statement so he makes the statement to this officer I have a gun but I'm allowed to have it that's your right to bear arms he has mm-hmm. a permit for it he made it clear to the officer look this is what I have his little baby girl is in the back seat.
3: He's not mm-hmm. getting ready
2: to do anything, and he says, "I'm reaching for my i d because he told him I need to see your i d mm-hmm.
5: as soon as
2: he reaches for it. You empty your clip on this guy.
14: Mhm to
2: me, that is to me, but I'm an advocate. I'm equally outraged, but I do agree with your point to the George Floyd. Something about George Floyd begging for his life and calling his mother that had already passed.
14: Mm-hmm. Registered with... Yeah, people. in, in that situation, you had uh, uh, almost 10 minutes of torture.
2: Yes, there you go. Exactly. In the in there the case
14: go. of uh, Philander uh, Castile, uh, that was, uh, you know, quickly quickly over done yeah quickly over
2: yeah so i i agree with you
10: dr reed on that that makes perfect sense and plus it gave the Philendix Castile case gave the uh police officers an excuse because they can always say at that point point it happened so fast his his state of mind could come into play and people are too oh yeah uh uh-huh. really
14: yeah mm-hmm. the, the and benefit that's, of the doubt that he mm-hmm. was afraid. well mm-hmm. that, was, and that was part, part of that was part that was part of their argument
10: Yeah,
2: and and to me, it's a complete disgrace because the video, what's crazy about that is, the video contradicted any type of fear. There were no fast movements. Uh, He said to the officer, I'm reaching for my license. His fiance says, hey, you told him to grab his his license. Mm -hmm. And look at the video, he moved very slowly. But he was forthcoming. It's like, so we got African-American fathers and mothers that tell their kids, look, if the, police start put, if the police officers pull you over, just do what they say, and you
14: still end up dead. And you still end up losing your life. It's um, yep. it's very tragic.
6: Well, the, what, the, another thing I thought that was that was really important about the case, the George Floyd case, was the trans. Well, I don't want to say transparency in full, but the fact that we as as citizens were able to view what was going on in the courtroom, we were able right. to listen right. to people argue. Yeah. And I, I think, think that was the
14: one key element that made it possible for the result to be different. It was fully videoed.
6: Yes, yes, and I think that's that's one of the things. So one one of the things we talk about here on the show is accountability and transparency. You know, you have you have a justice system that covers each other, covers for each other at every level, mm-hmm. and that's one of the points David was making earlier in the show. But when you see it now it's, trans- it's, it's wide open to the public, and the public can see you know the evidence that is presented, the case that is being put on, the defense that's being made, the prosecution. Mm-hmm. it's important for us to see and be aware of what's going on, because I think a lot of times these things are hidden, these, uh, you know these, these events take place, and then all of a sudden there's an outcome and it surprises everybody, but they don't know what went into it.
10: But my fear uh-huh. is that is the jo- the Chauvin case was the outcome everyone wanted and expected. But it's almost like this is going to be the sacrificial lamb. We're going to try to get everybody to forget what happened and let's go
2: back to status quo. Well, the well the problem is with that is that it was not sufficient. It was not uh-huh. sufficient. He should have gotten a lot more. He should have been charged, because here's the point, uh, Dr. Reed, and give me your thoughts on it. With George Floyd, when he made the statement that he was in duress, if you look at the video, Derek Chauvin doubled down on his neck Mm -hmm. with his knee. To Mm -hmm. me, it's an act of premeditation. Now, once I I can't breathe, and you continue and go harder, you have, with premeditation, killed me. Which he should have been charged with first degree murder. That's what he should mm-hmm. have been charged with.
14: So mm-hmm. let's Dr. Reed, your thoughts on that. Uh you I think you're right on that, you know. Um uh and, and a lot of people who have examined that video also could you could go through it almost uh in slow motion to see the facial expression of Chauvin yeah. Uh, changed. Yes. After after the man was begging for his life, he was like – he, he it, it almost appeared as if he was more determined to torture yes. him.
2: Yes, and I, I agree with that. So what do you have? I don't think – listen, I think a lot of the African-American community – and not only the African-American community, there were uh, white people in large numbers that really had a problem with the death of George
0: Floyd. They really
2: did. And mm-hmm. doing on social media, I've never seen so many officers in tears. I'm not talking about wiping a tear or two away. I'm talking weeping mm-hmm. and saying, look, I'm not going to be locked for this, but George Floyd was killed. These are officers. And mm-hmm. the officers in, in Minnesota talked equally. The chief of police was equally outraged. Yeah, he was.
5: So yes, you, he was.
2: Saying, yeah, so what do you what do you do with that? Uh, I don't I don't believe people said, look, we got what we wanted. We got something, but we didn't get. No, it. I, yeah, I understand
3: I,
10: mm-hmm. that they expected that at least she got convicted. Because well, usually they get off scot free.
9: Well, well, no, it's it's a little different than that. And what it is is the way the laws are written. Uh, I'm sure the prosecutors, and at least the George Floyd case, would have wanted to do first degree murder if they thought they could actually win on a first-degree murder charge. What ends up happening, the way the laws are actually written, and then what has to be given to a jury to consider, uh, you can end up losing on that particular count if it doesn't satisfy the prongs in the law. So it just, it didn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for sometimes for prosecutors to bring that stuff, because the law, the way it's written, doesn't permit them to achieve a successful outcome with that but, with the first-degree murder.
2: But they do have mm-hmm. the right, that, Dr. Reed, I, I think this is true, uh, they can be charged, even if they're charged and they get convicted, they can convict on a lesser. So say, for instance, you went to court with a, a first-degree murder charge, and they said, like, you know what, you haven't met that, but you have met second-degree or third-degree. Mm-hmm. So to mm-hmm. me, you bounce the ball. Because, I, again, I, I saw, and it, it, to me, the disgust that Derek Chauvin looked Down at George Floyd as he begged for his life, as Dr. Reed alludes to here, was clear. Clear. Mm -hmm. So if a. Yeah, he
14: understood. He understood everything that Floyd was saying. Yes. But it did not change his demeanor at all, except for he seemed to be more determined that he would just put more pressure on him. That's right. And what is that? That's murder. It is yeah, murder. That, that, we, and pre, as you said, pre, premeditated.
2: It's a premeditated moment that took place. To me, as a lawyer uh, or as a prosecutor, I would think I would argue that. And you know what I would have done? I would have played that video in slow motion for the jury to see look at the facial expression of Derek Chauvin when he was told this man could not breathe. Kind of like if you're mm. playing around and and say you're playing in the front yard and you say, man, I can't breathe. I mean, let me get up. Say you're playing a wrestling mm-hmm. or doing whatever, mm-hmm. man. I'm hurting you, hurting my back, or whatever you're doing. Immediately, the automatic response is to back off. He didn't back off, and, and I think mm-hmm.
6: that that point, um, there was no remorse even during period. period in the case, you know, during the trial. So you So, in some shape, form, or fashion, he thought I was justified in right. what I did, the outcome my actions were justified he knows better me. Mm-hmm. yeah and and that's that's the thing when you if you look at the fact we need accountability because people think
2: he would have gotten away with this without if, us without the technology
3: yes mm-hmm. because right. you,
14: Dr. Dr. Yeah. Ruta, you're we, of- all, you you are aware of you i i heard part of the program to mm-hmm. to hear the long long list of names and and different situations that's why we we must understand had we not had the video, this would have been just another case of what the officer said, and that would have been the end of it
2: That's right, that's right, and that's tragic.
14: that well, video I, made the the the, the case it made the case it really very did. very clear
2: it really did so, um, and
14: in in Dr. my ahead. estimation um Miss was the journalist that Ida B. Wells was in the early part of the 20th century. You know, Ida B. Wells reported on all of right. those lynchings, and it had to be heart-wrenching. But she Absolutely. gave up that information, and everybody, every, everybody could understand that this was a, a pattern that occurred all these many times every week. Um, it was really horrific.
2: No, absolutely and, right. And
14: and so the technology of our time helped us to see for ourselves. Uh, but you know that's not the first time we had a video. We had a video of Rodney right. King. Yeah, we did. In that case, that video didn't seem to make any difference.
2: No, and that was and that's what you really can't understand. Uh, but why why and again the Rodney King. Situation was horrific. I remember it,
3: and I remember Mm -hmm.
2: when the verdict came back. Right. Not one officer. Not one officer.
3: Was convicted.
2: Was convicted. Mm
3: -hmm.
6: And if you looked at
2: Rodney King's face, yeah, he was thought it was a horrible. Yeah, he was brutalized.
6: But look at think about Eric Gardner. Same situation. Same situation. Yeah, we've had
14: this happen. I I think we've had this to happen enough times that something should be done. And we don't know, but uh, it might end up being that uh, President Biden will use the executive uh, order to try to bring about some reform. But what that's going to do is that that's going to make the other side advocate more for no change,
2: (laughs) you know, no reform. Well, you know what? Uh, President Biden is in such a situation right now, uh, given the vaccine situation and what he's pushing there. He's in a little bit of troubled water right now.
14: What he will and will not do. Yes, he is. But but he he may end up using the executive power to try to bring about some sense of police reform nationally.
2: Uh, You know, to
14: try to establish a standard, no chokeholds, et cetera, a long, long list of things. Sure. The one thing that held them up, it appears, on this situation was that qualified immunity that the police union and a lot of the conservative side just would not support. They don't want to um they don't want to give up the officers who do wrong they still want to try to protect them
2: well and the danger of that dr reed is the fact the culture stays intact so you can't get change unless like you had yeah. a drastic move by executive order something that sends a message because if, if if officers want to protect other officers regardless of uh what they're doing and these days if you go against an officer it could cost you your life mm-hmm. because everybody's kind of united not everybody okay. and i believe we got some good officers out there let me say that we got oh, some yes, good officers absolutely out there uh but these are for those that simply have lost their way uh and make these choices to to bring this type of disgrace to a country is is over the top doctor Reed, we're going to take a quick break i want to come back we're going to be respectful of your time uh, i want to get okay. your i want to get your closing thoughts on how do we what do we do to go from here Do do we have any optimism here that perhaps – because it's hard to have optimism when we had such a cry for justice Mm -hmm. and the country has gone silent again. I'm going to get your Mm -hmm. thoughts on that, your closing thoughts, and how people can get in touch with you for what you do. We're going to go all that on the other side of the break. This is AJC Radio. Dr. Reed joining us and giving her perspective on a situation, and the question is since the death of George Floyd. Where are we now? And I can tell you right now, we're not in a good place. This is IJC Radio. We'll be right back.
1: Let's just be honest. When we look across the street to the Supreme Court and we see equal justice under law, um, when you have drug laws uh, so severely, disparately enforced – against some groups, let's take African-Americans for example, there's no difference between black and white marijuana usage or marijuana sales, in fact. But blacks are about 3.7 times more likely to be arrested for it. Um, African-Americans are more likely to get uh, mandatory minimums, are more likely about 13, to get 13% longer sentences. And it's created these jagged disparities in incarceration. In my state, blacks are about 13, 14 percent of the population. They make up over 60 percent of the prison population. And remember, the overwhelming majority of people we arrest in America are nonviolent offenders. Now you've got this, this disparity in the arrest, but that creates disparities that painfully fall all along the system. When you get arrested uh, for possession with intent to fell do it in inner city, now you're within a school zone. So now you have facing an even higher mandatory minimum. Now you're 19 years old with a felony conviction, possession, intent to sell in a school zone. Forget even all that. If you just have a felony conviction for a possession. What do you face now? Thousands of collateral consequences that will dog you for the rest of your life. You can't get a Pell Grant. You can't get business licenses. You can't get a job. If you're hungry, can't get food stamps. Uh, you need some place to live, you can't even get public housing. And what that does is created within our country concentrated areas where you have massive levels of men being incarcerated. You create a caste system in which people feel like they, there's no way out, and we're not doing anything as a society like we know we could do because there's tons of pilot programs that show if you help people when they are coming back from a nonviolent offense that their recidivism rates go dramatically down. If you don't help them, what happens is, left with limited options, many people make a decision to go back into that world of, of narcotics sales. Uh, uh, what's more dangerous to society? Someone smoking marijuana in the privacy of their own home or somebody going 30 miles over the speed limit, racing down a road in in a community. What is more dangerous to society? But yet that teenager who makes a mistake for doing things the last three presidents admitted to doing, now they have a felony conviction because it's more likely they're going to get caught. And for the rest of their life, they're 29, 39, 49, 59. They're still paying for a mistake they made as a teenager. Now that's not the kind of society uh, that I believe in. Nor is it fiscally responsible. Nor it's undermining their productivity, undermining their ability to take care of their family. This is so wrong that those conversations that I'm having with conservatives as well as uh, Democrats uh, are resonating. And so when you have people like Rand Paul standing up and talking about racial disparities, incarceration, this convergence and understanding uh, of fiscal conservatives of Christian conservatives, of libertarians, shows me that this is a time of great hope for our country. And so I'm not going to question people's motives. This is one of those issues like the civil rights movement in the 1960s, which should pull all Americans together to say enough is enough.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population population. But we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call one. 1- 855-529-4252, that is a just cause, and we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call one It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration Seriously.
9: Won't you join us? Call today.
12: I stand for equality. I stand for individuality. I stand for peace. I stand for diversity.
7: I stand for dignity.
12: I stand for respect.
4: I stand for fairness.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight, as we have gone down roads today regarding the death of George Floyd, where are we as a country and as a nation? Uh, We've been honored to have with us uh, Dr. Reed uh, giving her perspective, uh, Dr. Linda Reed, excuse me, uh, giving her perspective on where we are. How do we get out of this mess? Are we in a situation where we simply hope for a better tomorrow? as the complaints of misconduct by police officers in this country since the death of George Floyd have increased considerably, and they continue to spiral out of control. Uh, It is our thought that uh, we thought we would see some change. At least we hope for that. Uh, At the conviction of Derek Chauvin, we hope for that again. And we find ourselves where the country has gone somewhat silent. Uh, with the outrage of the death of George Floyd. I don't mean that in in any way with his family or people who held true to what they saw was absolutely unacceptable, but considering the outcry for the death of this man uh, to be here wondering where we are at this point uh, is a complete tragedy. Dr. Reed, are you with us? Uh, I'm, I'm still here. Okay, thank you, Dr. Reed, for staying with us and Uh, I want to get your thoughts again. We're we're, we're basically our backs are against the clock a little bit here, but I want to get some closing statements or remarks from you, Dr. Reed, on your thoughts of, for our listeners out there that think, man, is this ever going to get better? Uh, How do we uh, move from this point uh, and change as a society to some type of normacy of fairness and, and caring as human beings? How do we get there, Dr. Reed?
14: Well, I am going to uh, be optimistic and uh, place a lot of hope on all of the young people who came out in big numbers. And as George Floyd's daughter said, you know, she told the president, my daddy changed the world. Uh, She's going to always remember that. Her generation and and the ones just... uh, little older than she, I I think that they're going to remember this. And and as an educator, I'm going to encourage all the young people who are looking for jobs, become a part of the criminal justice system, become attorneys, you know, be about the business of making things different, creating a different situation. And and I do believe that that will happen. uh, Mm -hmm. When you think about a person like Amanda Gorman, who has already said that she possibly will run for president in 2036. Hey, and she'll yes. do it. No, absolutely
2: right. And, so uh,
14: I, I place my hope. It might not be something that we see in our lifetime, but that's what the, our ancestors taught us that. The people who were enslaved said it might not happen in our lifetime, but we, our people will be free. Yes. So hey, I'm right. gonna place I'm gonna place my hope on, on the people coming after me. It might not happen in my lifetime, but it will change.
2: Thank you, Doctor Reed, of inspiring words there uh for our listeners and something to look forward to. Uh again, whether we're here or not, and the next generation uh, that that we pass the torch to. Let's let's hope and pray yes. uh, that there's a difference uh, in the lives of, of people. Dr. Reed, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to join us tonight. I open it, the door to you to come back. If you have anything you want to discuss, you have a platform that you want to, uh, or an issue you want to discuss, we'll give you a platform here at AJC Radio. Uh, and I'll tell you what, you are always welcome here. We may want to call on you to come back as we continue this discussion over a period of time. Uh, but I appreciate you so much for what you do, uh, your words of encouragement, yes. and how do we get out of this mess that we're in. I can't thank you enough. Yeah, well, we'll out. all
14: keep working on it. Thank you so much.
2: Okay, take care.
14: Mm-hmm. There you have it, ladies and
2: gentlemen, Dr. Linda Reed. Uh, she is the uh, interim director of the University of Houston African American Studies Program and associate professor there, uh, shining some light on this discussion. Samson, your thoughts on Dr. Reed?
8: Well, I mean, she definitely brings a, a, a fresh perspective to the entire conversation. She's very well informed, very well spoken, and she makes a lot of good points. The fact of the matter is, is like, you know, we may not ever see this, these changes come into effect in our lifetime, you know, versus, you know, any person of color, anybody that stands with, you know, our, our color brothers and sisters, we might not see it happen. But the fact is, like, we can't let the narrative die. We have to keep on pushing this thing because the fact of the matter is, is, the moment we go silent, we, we've seen in the George Floyd case, you know. The moment people went silent, it started happening again. You know, I mean, we, you look at around, around the country right now, over uh, a thousand people have died since the George, George Floyd case at the hands of police. They're talking an average of three people per day. That's three people too many, regardless of skin tone. That is three people too many. Police officers need to be put in check. They need to stop, you know, being able to govern their own and be held accountable for the things that they do. Dave hey, Tocollo, your thoughts?
7: Nothing has changed in this country. It it seems to be just keep getting worse and worse. I mean, I just, I keep thinking about Aurora, Colorado. The number of times we've had the incidents with the police against the black members of the community. And over and over again, it happened and happened. finally, the attorney general's office here in Colorado just recently came out and said, the police department is racist. Well, yes, we saw that. We've been looking at that. It took you this long to come out and say that, but now what are you going to do about it? That's one of the things we don't see here in this country: is what are we going to do about it? And then when they talk about it, actually producing an effect. Oh, absolutely right, Dennis. Yes, it's time. And I mean, uh, the, the
6: uh, professor, I mean, Dr. Arree was really honored when she was talking about our youth. Uh, we got to get the youth involved. I mean, we got to make sure they understand that they are the future and uh they, they they can make make a lot of things happen i truly uh, agree with
2: her on that uh, again accountability if there's no accountability there's no solution there's no Absolutely. change until we start seeing uh, police officers uh more than one uh you know serve time or i mean you know get what they
0: deserve it's going to continue to happen no, without question Punch. yeah i enjoyed uh listening to dr reed uh, speak she uh Reminds me of a very patient person, uh, very well-educated, and uh, a voice of
5: soberness uh, in this hour. Great. Demetrius. Oh, well, you can appreciate Dr. Reed's uh, optimism, and um, I definitely concur with her on, you know, I, I we're going to see it, our children will probably see it, um, um, and I hope that, you know, things change. Uh, Today's the Zafrovo's point, I've seen no change. At all, I, as you said Mont, earlier, that it's gotten worse, and that's that's tragic. Uh, but hopefully, the, the next generation coming after us can uh, take this torch and take it drive it home.
2: Well, and we hope that the torch is the torch of justice. It uh, doesn't seem to be a situation that uh, has gotten better. Uh, and I I, uh, I applaud uh, Dr. Reed's optimism, and uh, that's what we all hope for. We never hope for worse. Days ahead, you look for a brighter day, uh, and that's critically important. Uh,
9: David. Well, uh, like I said, this has been a a very, uh, obviously, spirited conversation in many, many respects. I just think what ends up happening, uh, the way they're uh, selling or trying to sell uh, structural. Countrywide structural racism is is somewhat problematic. Implicit bias to tell a person they're impl- implicitly racist or implicitly biased, I just think is a is a hard sell. Sadly, Black Lives Matter movement, uh, some of these organizations have become so po- political at some point until they lose their effectiveness, uh, and then in many cases, the boy who cried wolf. You can't cry racism on every single case. And I think I see too many of the politicians, especially on the democratic side, uh, we have a racism problem in this country, but everything can't be immediately attributed to race, or you can ultimately turn people off. You become, you become the boy who cried wolf, and then people just start uh, closing their ears, and they just quit listening all the way around. Uh, you address issues as they come up. uh and they need to be uh, the facts and the evidence. Really, needs uh, to to a great extent, to support uh, any sort of uh, race racism accusations. If not, uh, uh, I can't see us moving forward. Well, I do see. I do believe that Black Lives Matter. Uh, Black
2: Lives Matter is a is a voice in this hour. Uh, I think they've done some good things. I think they were demonized uh, and and targeted misrepresented in a lot of cases uh, because I believe whenever you have a voice that is powerful, that implements people to hit the streets, to march, to fight, to protest, uh, we saw numbers in New York with Black Lives Matter that was astronomical. Uh, And there were some people uh, in Black Lives Matter uh, that sacrificed a lot to let their voice be heard. So I do believe uh, that Black Lives Matter is a reputable organization, but I think they have been uh, demonized in a way that's unfair. Uh, and I believe because it's a it's a black organization fighting for the rights of African Americans. And I do agree with, with David in regards to, we pick our battles. Uh, and every battle is not a group issue of racism. Sometimes you have a bad apple in the bunch uh, that makes a decision, that makes a move against African Americans. I think Black Lives Matter movement is so important because You had people coming out saying, well, all lives matter. That's not the question. All lives matter is not the question. Do our lives matter? Given the violence that we have seen with African Americans. So it's not to say, listen, I said this before, I'll say it again. If you're white, you're black, you're Hispanic, you're international, you're Asian, whatever you are, the mistreatment of human beings on the level that we have seen is an outrage, regardless of your background. That being said, we had a huge uptick in violence against african americans therefore the question became do we matter because the appearance of the appearance of it was that we simply don't that's why the group, you don't ask a question that that you're sure of we're confident white lives matter we're confident uh, other other ethnic groups lives matter we're not as confident that black lives matter when we see an officer kill a man in broad daylight in New York in, in Minnesota. We see Eric Gardner be killed without a weapon and choked to death in a hole that was outlawed by the New York PD. We see Walter Scott being shot in the back without cause. This is why the question is, do Black Lives Matter? A gentleman in I forget the state it was in. The gentleman that was selling the the, uh, uh, the CDs, Alpha Sterling, and they shot him close range in his chest. They were sitting on top of on that.
9: top of him and shot him close. Did they empty the clip on that man? Close to A right. lot of bullets came out. Why? That's why we ask: Do we matter?
6: And then you got Sandra Bland. You you know you have cases like it's this. All over the, the it's place. all over the place. I mean, we've had, and these are just the cases that have caught national media there's other areas i mean there's local cases where that we're dealing with i mean we just dealt with elijah McClain here in in colorado you know and that led to the uh, the situation that dave zapolo talked about where it is said okay this police department has a has a reputation of being of, of racism and i'm going to say
0: the correct-
7: conclusion yeah. that was the conclusion is that right dave absolutely i mean just look at that's the same police department That pulled over a a black family in a a minivan, had them cuffed on the hot hot asphalt with the children crying because they thought it was stolen, but the stolen vehicle that they were after was a motorcycle.
2: Well, and that's the outrage. That's the outrage. So the question is, do we matter? And I salute Black Lives That Matter, any other organization that will have the courage to stand up and say, we have a voice in this hour to address the issues of racism, the issues of bigotry, the issues, when you start dragging grandmothers, I I saw a video where a grandmother was put on the ground uh, and a white officer sitting on the back of this elderly woman as she cried for help. Uh, This is a disgrace. And again, all officers are not like that. I salute every officer that honors the badge. Every officer that goes to work every single day their life on the line, and they do what is right. We salute you to the officers that don't and continue to terrorize individuals in the African American community. And again, any community, any human being that would be subjected to such treatment uh, is a disgrace uh, to, to any law enforcement organization uh, in this country. So we are hopeful, we are very grateful again uh, for Dr. Linda Reed. We're grateful um, for uh, Leslie Gabrielle, for her joining us tonight. Uh, give us some true perspective on what we are looking at as a country. I'll tell you what, it can be very discouraging uh, when you look at the things that happen and they continue. Remember that statement, they continue. You see a stoppage and a drastic drop in this or that. And it wasn't too long ago we were talking, that we were fascinated by the crowd. Of support for George Floyd. And I have never seen people march in England, in Australia, everywhere saying, we don't believe what happened to George Floyd was right. We are going to do part two of this show next week, ladies and gentlemen. Too much information. We're going to deal with this. What's happening in prisons, in jails? These are the jail police, these are the prison police. How is the abuse going there since the death of George Floyd? How they maintain order in these prisons. We're going to take a look at all of that, but we're going to deal with the abuse behind the wall of jails and prisons in this nation as we can do part two, where we we'll now? announce the death of George Floyd. This is Agency Radio. Good night.
3: Let's
0: take another look at that unprovoked police brutality. The reason that man is being assaulted by the police is because of what he has in his hand. He's holding a professional-grade video camera. Since the Rodney King beating was caught on an amateur video camera, American police officers have known video cameras are their worst enemies. They will do anything they can to stop you from legally videotaping how they handle their responsibility to serve and protect you. So this police commander has decided that the correct response to that man shooting video is to grab him and smash his head into a parked Volvo.